come now to God's Word, found in Luke chapter 6, we'll be reading Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 this morning, you can find that on page 1025 in the Pew Bible in front of you, that's Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Fathers, we come now to your word. We do so asking for your help. We need your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds. We need him to prepare to receive what you have for us. So ready us now, Father, to hear from your word. But it would bear much fruit in us. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. This is an interesting month to be preaching a sermon on love. Because as I'm sure you know by now, this month, the month of June, is the month that our culture sets aside to celebrate and promote the ideology that love is love. The ideology that love can be whatever you want it to be. You can love who you want to love and how you want to love them. It doesn't matter if they're the same sex as you or even if they identify with their biological sex. You can and should love whoever you want to love because love is love. You are the authority on love. This is our culture's love ethic. You can and should love in whatever way feels natural to you because all love is good. I'll say that again. This is our culture's love ethic. You can and should love in whatever way feels natural to you because all love is good. Well, as we continue on in our study in the Gospel of Luke, as we continue on our study of the Sermon on the Mount, Christ presents us here in this passage with a radically different love ethic than that offered by our culture. As Christ instructs us and continues to instruct us on what it means to follow Him as His disciples, what it means to be transformed by the Gospel, 
he tells us here that one of the areas of transformation will be in the way that we love one another. Because Christian love is different than worldly love. In fact, that's not a bad mission statement for this sermon. Christian love is different than worldly love. That's what Christ demonstrates here in Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. And how is Christian love different than worldly love? Well, as we just talked about, worldly love says that true love is whatever comes naturally. Christian love, the love that Christ calls us to in this passage, says this. No, true love is what comes supernaturally. True love comes as the result of being transformed supernaturally by the gospel's work in us. The question is, what does this supernatural Christian love look like? How does the gospel begin to transform the way that we love one another? Well, in our passage this morning, Christ demonstrates to us and to his disciples the three ways that the gospel transforms the way that we love. Three ways. The gospel transforms first, who we love. Second, how we love. And finally, why we love. So first, the gospel transforms who we love. Look back at just the first part of verse 27 with me for a moment. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now it should not surprise us here that Christ commands his disciples to love. Love is a core aspect of what it means to be a part of the family of God, what it means to be his people. All the way back in Numbers 6-5, we find the great commandment which says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the corresponding command in Leviticus 19-18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Written into the DNA of God's people is the truth that we are to be a people who love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, and a people who love our neighbor as ourselves. This is just the, the baseline principle of what it means to be part of the family of God. And even the Jews in Jesus' day understood this. They understood that they were to be a people who loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, and who loved their neighbor as themselves. But Christ here actually pushes the language of the great commandment even further. He doesn't just say, love your neighbor. He says, love your enemies. And this word here that he uses, enemies, it refers to anybody who is personally hostile towards you. Someone who's personally hostile. You see, the gospel transforms who we love. It is perfectly natural to love someone who loves you. In fact, isn't that what Christ would go on to say in verse 32? Even sinners love those who love them. What is different about Christian love is that it is a love given to those who do not love us. Given to those even who are personally hostile towards us. Given to those who, may, who we might even call our enemies. It is not a natural way to love. 
It is an unnatural, supernatural way to love. That's what Christ is demonstrating to us here. He's demonstrating to us what the great commandment actually means. When God instructs us to love Him and to love our neighbor, He's not just telling us to do what comes naturally. He's instructing us that we are to be a different type of people in Him. A supernatural people. A people transformed by His love. And specifically what this means is that we are to be a people who reflect His love to this world. Simply put, in who we are as a people, in how we love, we are to reflect and mirror the character and the love of God. Because who is it that God loves? Those who love Him? Those who can do something for Him? The best and the brightest? No Christian marvel at the love of God. As Romans 5, 8 says, God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And as it goes on to say in Romans 5 and verse 10, while we were enemies, while we were enemies, God reconciled us. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. This is who God loves. God loves His enemies. And He calls us as His children, as those made in His image, to do the same thing. It will not feel natural, brothers and sisters. In fact, it will feel very unnatural. But this is how the gospel transforms us. The gospel, the good news that while we were yet His enemies, because He loves us, God reconciled us to Himself by the death of His Son. When this gospel takes root in our hearts, when it begins to produce fruit, it will transform us to a people, into a people who love in this same way. A people who love our enemies because we were loved when we were enemies. This is the first way that the love of God is meant to transform us. This is the way that the gospel transforms the way that we love. It transforms who we love. And second, we see that it transforms how we love. What does it look like for us to love our enemies? How are we to do this? That's what Christ goes on to explain in verses 27 through 31. It says, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This statement here at the end gives us the new love ethic that Christ would have His followers embody. It gives us a basic principle for how we are to love our enemies. How would you want to be treated by your enemies? Do the same to them. And we might think that, well, that sounds selfish. Just do to someone else what you want done to you. 
But actually, this is a radically unselfish ethic. Because no one wants to be treated selfishly. No one wants to be used and taken advantage of. No one wants to just be loved for what they can do for some other person. Part of what is built into us as people made in the image of God is the desire to be loved unconditionally and unselfishly. That is why the love that so inspires our hearts and our mind is love that is self-sacrificial and unselfish. Love that gives all and demands nothing back. Deep down, we know that that is what true love looks like. And deep down, we know that we want to be loved like that. We want that kind of love. That is what Christ means here when he says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. He's saying, love others, even your enemies, the way that you want to be loved, unconditionally, self-sacrificially. This is how we are to love. And it is difficult and it is costly. We see this as Christ goes on to explain what self-sacrificial love looks like. First, he says that we should do good to those who hate us. This is what it looks like practically to love our enemies. Even if someone hates you, seek their good. You notice here that Christ is not primarily interested in how we feel towards our enemies, but in how we treat them. You see, the love of Christ, the love that Christ requires of us, is an active love. It's not just mere sentimentality. Because active love, done in obedience, done in self-sacrificial obedience, that kind of love will slowly begin to change our affections. C.S. Lewis, I've quoted C.S. Lewis on this point before, but I'll do so again. He writes, Do not waste your time bothering on whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do so, we will find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you have loved someone, you will presently come to love him. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. Then Christ goes on to say that we should Bless those who curse us and pray for those who abuse us. You see, what we say about our enemies is just as important as what we do towards them. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is our first instinct when we're treated poorly? When we're hated, cursed, and abused? What's our first instinct? We are far too civilized to lash out in physical violence. Oh, but we will lash out with our words, won't we? That's our first instinct. When we're treated poorly, to just cut that person down to size with scathing and vehement speech. And we think it's okay because they treated us badly. Christ calls us, rather, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who abuse us. So Christian, how do you talk about your enemies? 
Do you wish for your down, do they, do you wish for their downfall? And most difficultly, perhaps, do you pray for your enemies? This is the radical, unnatural love that Christ calls us to. The radical, unnatural, supernatural love that is to characterize Christians. That having been transformed by the gospel, we would be able even to pray for our enemies, to pray for their good, to pray for their salvation. And this is costly. This means coming to terms with the fact that you will be taken advantage of. This is what Christ goes on to explain when he speaks about turning the other cheek and offering the shirt off your back and giving to whoever begs from you. He's speaking of coming to terms with the fact that when you love like this, you will be taken advantage of. You'll be vulnerable to getting taken for a ride and exploited. You will give and give and give and receive nothing back. And yet he calls us to love this way nonetheless. He calls us to love self-sacrificially. And I can see and I can feel that this is a heavy weight, isn't it? The call to this kind of love. But brothers and sisters, Christ does not call us to a type of love that he was not willing to demonstrate himself. This is what Christ did on the cross. He demonstrated to us how to love our enemies self-sacrificially. He did it himself. That's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 2, 21-23. Here's how Christ reacted when he was abused. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is how Christ loved his enemies. He did good for those who hated him. He gave his life for them. He blessed those that cursed him. He prayed for those who abused him, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the love of Christ. It is a Christian love that is radically different than worldly love. It is not natural. It is supernatural. We cannot show this type of love in our own power. We cannot. We cannot do it in our own strength. But in Christ, by the power of His Spirit, working in us supernaturally, we can. R.C. Sproul, commenting on this passage, he challenged his readers on how to practically demonstrate this kind of self-sacrificing supernatural love. I'll challenge you to do the same thing that he challenged his readers to. I want you to take just a moment and think about someone in your life that you have conflict with. Perhaps someone that you had conflict with. Perhaps even someone that you might think about as an enemy. Think of one person. Do you have them in mind? I want you to consider praying for that person for the next 30 days. Pray for them faithfully. Intercede before the Father on their behalf. 
Pray for their good. Pray for their welfare. Pray for your heart towards them. If you sinned against them, confess it. Pray that you'd be able to forgive them. Pray that God would forgive them. I'd encourage you to do that for the next 30 days. And just see what God does in your heart. What He does in your heart towards that person. What He does in your relationship with Christ. This is how God calls us to love. So in this passage, we've seen that the gospel transforms who we love and how we love. And finally, we see that the gospel transforms why we love. And this last point is so crucial. Because why we love, why we love, will impact who we love and how we love. Our why our motivation for loving matters incredibly. Here's what I mean. If we love others just to receive love in return, we will only ever love those who are lovable and lovely. We will only ever love those who can do something for us. And that's not Christian love. Or perhaps if we love others just to keep up appearances and to perform, we will only ever just do the bare minimum to get by. We will never be inspired to love self-sacrificially. We won't give up anything. And that's not Christian love. Christian love is different than worldly love. That's what Christ goes on to explain in verses 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. The ability to love as Christ calls us to love in this passage, it begins with our why changing. It begins with our internal motivation for loving changing. Until that happens, we will love just like the world. And it is of no credit to us to love just like the world. It's of no benefit we need a new type of love that comes from a new motivation, a new why. And what is that why? Turn back to verse 35. Christ says, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In this verse, Christ first recaps who we are to love and how we are to love, before giving us the motivation why we are to love. When he says, And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. As followers of Christ, we love our neighbors even our enemies, 
self-sacrificially because when we do so, we are promised that our reward will be great. (laughs) Now, lest we begin to think that this sounds, again, a little selfish, that we're just doing it for a reward, (laughs) we need to understand exactly what the reward is. You need to keep reading. It says, you will be sons of the Most High. That's the reward. Now, if you're thinking that perhaps what Christ is saying is that when we love like this, we we earn the right to become a part of the family of God, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, work hard, earn it, and you'll be a son of the Most High. The language here is the language of family resemblance. What Christ means is that when you love like this, when you embody Christian love, you have the reward of being like your Father. You'll be sons of the Most High. And like a son resembles and represents his Father, when we love like this, we get to resemble and represent our Father here on earth. That's a fitting message for Father's Day. When you love like this, Christian, when you love in Christian love, you get to embody your Father's love in this world. You get to be an ambassador. And that is the great reward. That is our why. We love because we want to be like our Father. We love because we want to resemble and represent Him on earth. You know, Benjamin is just now getting to the age where he wants to be like his daddy. And that is such a joy to my heart. The other day he comes up to me and he says, Daddy, look, I have hair on my arm. I'm going to be a man just like you. I'm going to have a a beard just like my daddy. I said, yeah, buddy, someday. Someday you will be like your daddy. Brothers and sisters, that's to be our heart. As those made in the image of God and in His likeness, we are to desire, we are to strive for and desire that we would be like our Father, that we would resemble and represent Him on earth. That's the great reward. That's our motivation. That's our why. That we, as we self-sacrificially love even our enemies, we get to represent our Father here on earth. No matter the cost, we can be assured that the reward is greater. (laughs) The reward of knowing and loving and representing our Father here on earth. As we come to the end of this passage, we actually find a, a second reason why. A second reason why we should love even our enemies as Christians. It's an even deeper, more fundamental reason. Really, it's at the the core of our love for our enemies and for one another. We find it in the final words of verse 35 and then verse 36. It says, For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Brothers and sisters, we should be known by mercy Because we are a people who have been shown tremendous mercy. That is our why. That is our motivation. We love because He first loved us. 
We are to be a merciful people because we have been a people who have been shown magnificent mercy. The Lord is unkind even to the ungrateful and to the evil. That's you and I, brothers and sisters. In our sin, outside of God's saving work in us, we are an ungrateful and an evil people. And yet God loves us. Can you believe that? God loves even us. This is the good news that should transform us. Would we never lose our amazement at this reality, brothers and sisters, that God loves even us? Would that be the fuel of our love for one another? Our love of even the ungrateful and the evil? Because that is exactly who we were when God chose to love us by His grace. We should reflect the love of God, this love, into the world. We should be merciful as our Father has been merciful to us. And we can do this in the assurance that Christ does not ask us to do anything that He has not first perfectly fulfilled in us. He loved His enemies. He loved us perfectly to the uttermost. In fact, it is because of Christ's death that we have this mercy, isn't it? It's because of His death On the cross, Christ endured the Father's hatred and wrath so that we might receive His love and acceptance. He was rejected by the Father as an enemy so that we might be accepted as sons of the Most High. Brothers and sisters, would we love like this? Would we love like this? Would we be merciful as our Father is merciful? Let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help with that. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for your magnificent mercy towards us in your Son. That although we were your enemies, that the blood of Christ has reconciled us to you through faith. Would the love of Christ dwell richly in our hearts? Cause your gospel to transform us, Father. Cause it to transform the way that we love one another. We want to love as as you have loved us. So help us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit that we may bear much fruit. Keep us from loving unselfish. Keep us from loving selfishly. Would we never lose our amazement at your love for ungrateful sinners like us? Work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you now to stand.